0: 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present on the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR
1: Breakfast. Oh,
2: yeah.
3: Alternative news, analysis, and current hand. affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8:30am. Early double. Good morning, you're on 3CR Community Radio, this is Tuesday Breakfast, it's the 25th of May, uh, 7am. Joined here by me, Genevieve. I've got Evie Fong and Carnegie. How is everyone this morning? Good. Pretty good, thanks. Good, yeah. We were just talking earlier about the wild weather last night.
0: Yeah, waking up at four a.m. to just howling wind outside my window, so that wasn't ideal. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. And then overdressing this
2: morning. I thought yeah. it was going to be it's freezing. Warm. It's really warm. Yeah,
0: it's
4: weird. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I was worried my little bunny was going to fly off the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> But
3: he's okay. (laughs) That's good. That's good. (laughs) Um, Speaking of weather, it is going to be 11 to 19 degrees today. There's going to be rain in the afternoon. So just bring uh, something rainproof for going home uh, tonight if you're at work. Um, Yeah. Did anyone get up to anything exciting on the weekend or in the past week?
0: I did go to midsummer um, as part of the Victorian Pride Lobby float. Um, we had a pretty good time. It was a bit more subdued this year just due to all the restrictions and everything, but, yeah, it was still a lot of fun. Um, still lots of people, you know, towards the end of the parade route cheering and, you know, carrying on and everything. It's such a lovely day as well. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Once again, unseasonably warm. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, well, hopefully next year, like, without any restrictions and stuff, it'll be a really huge party, but it's nice to see the return of actual crowds and places.
3: Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, I actually did something fun on the weekend. I, um, had a karaoke party. Oh, that is so nice yeah. yeah. It was like, I mean, two hours of just like screaming. It felt like screaming. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: it's did like you have exhausting. like a karaoke machine and
3: everything? Like or? a, ro- like a booth. Oh, I'd yeah. never been into, um, one of the rooms before, but they're so nice. Mm, they're like, really nice. Uh, lush like carpet on the walls. Like. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. Do
2: you have a go to song? Oh
3: not really. I did what did I there was um the opening song was total eclipse of the Ah. Which is always a good one. A very difficult one to sing, mind you. <laughs> Um, I
0: always yeah. like doing Celine Dion it completely out of key.
3: Like. Oh, God, that's so... <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm not even pretending to hit any of the high notes. It's just really fun to like just go over the top of Yeah, you just
3: scream. Like, yeah, <laughs> I just felt like I was screaming the whole night. And then when you actually get the microphone, you're like, oh, my God, it's terrible. <laughs> um, Is that what I sound like? Yeah. <laughs> All right, we've got a big show coming up um, today. Do you want to take us through what's on uh, for this morning? All right, so
0: this morning um, we're going to go over the little news headlines, but at some point later on this morning we're going to be talking to Hugh and Hung from Red Pocket Press, uh, talking about their zines um, that celebrate the queer Lunar New Year. Um, We're also going to have some audio from Sion Crawford from Harm Reduction Victoria, who spoke to us um, Thursday breakfast earlier in the week. Uh, And we're also going to be speaking to Texter Queen, Um, who draws amazing illustrations um, illustrating complex politics of gender, race and sexuality and identity in vividly detailed works. And later on this morning, we're also going to have audio from Thursday Breakfast from Noura Mansour, who caught up with Priya earlier in the week. She's a
3: Palestinian educator, political analyst and community organiser. Yeah, huge show. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back with the news headlines. of May, um, I'm sure as all of our listeners would, uh, all of our listeners would know by now that uh, there has been some confirmed COVID cases in Victoria. Um, four people have tested positive: two men, a woman, and a child from the same family spread across two households uh, in the Whittlesey area. Um, they're urging anyone who attended um, a busy shopping centre, I believe it was High Point, in the northern suburbs to isolate for 14 days as health authorities, um, are trying to urge people to get vaccinated as soon as possible. I think High Point's in the west. What's the screen? Oh, am I getting that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> no, right. I think they,
0: they had very general northern yeah. suburbs, which didn't help. Yeah.
3: Yeah, there is – if you want to – I know that The Guardian has a very detailed list on um – the hotspots and exactly where some of the cases went um, and also has like a three tier thing of like one tier is like uh, definitely get tested two tier and three tier so you can just go online and have a look at where the exposure sites were Um, but yeah there has been it was a three month streak with no community transmission cases Um, but if we yeah just jump onto this as soon as possible hopefully this won't be as extreme as uh, last year
0: um, just in news from uh, Palestine, Palestinians in Israel have decried mass arrests. This is from Al Jazeera. Uh, so Israeli police have launched a wave of arrests targeting Palestinian citizens of Israel who took part in the recent rallies. There's currently a ceasefire, but it's uh, very tentative at the moment. Um, and now with um, Israeli police announcing that they will arrest hundreds of Palestinian citizens over in Israel over the coming days, uh, because they participated in recent sit-ins in support of Palestinians in occupied East Jerusalem and and the Gaza Strip. Um, this will take place as part of what they are calling Operation Law and Order, um, and Israeli police said that some 1,500 people have already been arrested. Uh, really shocking situation
3: at the moment. Wow, yeah. And just on a note of um, what's happening... Uh, in Israel and to the Palestinian people, I wanted to just plug um, a charity or a donation uh, point that you can go to um, that I actually got recommended by um, a fellow student in one of my classes who has close ties to the Palestinian community in um, Melbourne. Um, but it's called uh, BDS, um, and mostly what the uh, what it stands for, sorry, is the boycott, Div- divestment sanctions movement that's working to end international support for Israel's oppression of Palestinians and pressure Israel to comply with the international law so they're kind of putting in their money to institutions to try to um alleviate some of the power that Israel has over um Palestinians so um the website is bdsmovement.net
2: um and then just going um coming closer to home uh, on Friday uh, there was a Climate strike led by school students, and um, it, you know, a smaller turnout than um, the strike in 2019 due to, to COVID restrictions, but still, the young people of this country really showed up and um, tried to make their voices heard. Um, some of the things that they were fighting for uh, fighting to resource First Nations led solutions that guarantee uh, land rights, um, and also funding projects that transition the economy to 100% renewable energy by 2030. Um, One of the key issues for a lot of the students in attendance was the federal government's uh, recent announcement that it would spend $600 million on a new gas-fired power station in the Hunter Valley. Um, And yeah, a lot of the students, as um, you know, with a lot of people are are, are quite upset that um, the government uh, is investing in, in gas Instead of um, mm-hmm. other renewable, uh, instead of renewable energies, um, and yeah, the the government recently came under pressure at a at a recent global climate summit to set a more ambitious target um, in terms of reducing um, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, it's currently. Uh, well, they're they're aiming for a reduction of between twenty six to twenty eight percent, whereas the U.S. Um, t- uh, their target um, is between fifty to fifty two percent. So there's a bit of pressure there um, from not only. Uh, Our local community but also the international community as well Um, there will be another round of of global climate talks um, in Scotland in November so uh, watch this space and we'll see if um, yeah the federal government decides to um, change anything or Mm -hmm. increase
3: increase their targets yeah it's so annoying just being constantly embarrassed (laughs) on a a global scale. (laughs) scale. It's just
0: like one thing after the other. You're just like, oh, God, we've done it again, haven't we? I
3: know, even from, like, the most – not that this is basic, but, like, electric cars, like, Mm. Australia – so behind on adopting electric cars, like, we still um, are so obsessed with, like, petrol fuel cars. Mm. Also just still, you know,
2: so many um, students and young people being discouraged from, from striking and they're being h- told to stay in schools. It's really easy. If you want students to stay in schools, maybe do something to help secure mm-hmm. their future. Like, well, exactly. yeah, they wouldn't be striking if, you know, they had faith in... In um, you know the government and and what we were doing to to help reduce um, the impact of climate change, for sure.
0: Yeah, mm. it, it, we can be quite patronising to children sometimes mm, and definitely. saying, "Oh, they should be protected from you know the, the the bad things in the world," but this is their future.
4: But ironically, we're causing the harm. Yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> and like, can we not like, go <laughs> to school? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they wouldn't have to be aware for if we didn't keep you know mucking it up oh, for exactly.
3: them. Mm. Mm, yeah, I think like um, displaying the issue is more complex or like, you know, it's too complex for you to understand when it's actually extremely simple. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of part of the problem. Um, I think we have another
4: great headline. Um, the president-elect of Samoa, who is the first female, I'm sorry, prime minister, um, who who is going to be the first female prime minister of Samoa, was literally barred from entering parliament by the current Prime Minister who is a man and is refusing to cede power, which wow. I find um, like a pretty good commentary on the patriarchy in yeah. general. Yeah. I
3: saw this headline. It's crazy. So the um, the Prime Minister that's refusing to step down has governed Samoa for 22 years um, and uh, through the courts, uh, the new Prime Minister, Mata Afa's um, won the election by a narrow win, um, but yeah, is uh, unable to actually take her place as prime minister. The um, police barred her from entering the legislative chamber. Like that's, <laughs> wow, uh, and Speechless. I think she had
4: to she had to be sworn in, take her oath in a tent outside. That's
3: crazy.
0: Oh, so it, it was like so the majority uh, um, fast, I think, is the name. They were expected to form new government for the first time in yeah. four decades. Mm. So they were supposed to be beginning the swearing-in process this morning. That's wow. incredible. Um, yeah, no, we'll keep an eye on that and report on that in
3: um, future episodes. Yeah, of as well. I can't help but obviously, a very different tone. But, I mean, this is in the news as well. Recently with um, Myanmar's Aung San Suu Kyi has um, come out with her first in-person court appearance since the coup, um, which was the military coup that happened nearly four months ago after she was um, arrested and put into prison. But she's made her first um, public appearance where um, the reports are saying that uh, she looked in good health uh, during a 30-minute meeting with her legal team on Monday, uh, but she has had no access to newspapers during detention and was only partially aware of what was happening outside um her previous court appearance had only appeared on video link. So this is the first time that people have seen her in person and the first time that Myanmar, um, citizens have seen her in person. Um, I mean, yeah, the stuff that's still going on in Myanmar, there's still protests, um, like weekly, um, that a kind of challenging the military coup that's happening there right now. Um, Cool think that was everything all right well up next um we're going to play some audio from Thursday breakfast but we're just going to go to a few quick announcements
5: hi this is Isaac, and I'm talking to you from a tree seat 40 meters high in the Arinandro plateau I'm here with other activists because we want to stop what Big Forest is planning to do which is to destroy 60 new areas in one of the last refuges of unburned forests in East Gippsland. We're calling the state government to protect all unburned areas of East Gippsland. If you want to get involved, contact gecko at gecko.org.au and join the campaign.
0: A 3CR supporter.
6: Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and be part of Community Powered Radio. 3CR
3: Radiothon Fundraiser, June
7: 2021. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au 3CR Radiothon,
8: Community
9: Powered Radio.
2: If you've just joined us, uh, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Um, We're now going to go to a track, and and, uh, the video was – quite popular making it rounds on the weekend. Um, and if you haven't seen it, please check it out cause, because it is amazing. The song is called racist sexist boy, um, by the Linda Linders. Now they are an all girl, Asian American and Latinx, uh, Latinx, uh, punk rock band from LA. And, uh, this song is about an experience that Mila, the, the band's drummer had when a schoolmate made a racist comment before, um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, yeah, it's an amazing song, uh, the perfect song to wake up to on a Tuesday morning. But please, if you haven't watched the video, please check it out.
0: Chinese, he away, away from me. me. Eloise, Eloise and I wrote the, I wrote the song bond based bond on bond that experience. So this is, about, this is about, him about him and all the other, other racist, sexist, sexist boys in this world.
10: world. One, two, three.
2: So that was uh, Racist, Sexist Boy by the Linda Linders. We'll be back right after this.
7: Luciano and Georgia Keats, supported by the Australian Queer Archive, present Queer Ways, retracing Melbourne's queer footprint. Queer Ways is a community art project that maps the queer history of Melbourne, combining our community's stories and voices, past and present, into a permanent, interactive record of being queer in Melbourne. Visit www.queerways.melbourne now to record your story in Queer History and explore our city's untold history. Queer Ways, a 3CR supporter.
3: We're just gonna to go to another track by one of my favorite artists from Chicago uh, No Name has put out a new song, uh, called Rainforest. Um, it's got an awesome backing track, this one, but I think the lyrics are particularly potent, um, and especially telling of the times that we're living in now. Um, if you haven't checked out No Name before, uh, she's a spoke, well, she started off as a spoken word artist, um, in Chicago before moving to music. Um, she's an incredibly talented artist, incredibly talented lyricist. Um, so hope you enjoy this one.
11: How you get closer to love how you eliminate all your sadness when you're opening up how you make excuses for billionaires you broken up a sunny niggas around me rolling up and smoking me up because because my rainforest cries everybody dies a little and i just want to dance tonight and i just want to dance tonight ah uh, yeah Cause every blade of grass of earth, we don't actually own I am the I am, says Sam, am I? The universe, please, infinity, We got one life Um, yeah, how you get close to love? How you eliminate all your sadness when you opening up? How you make excuses for billionaires, you broken up a bus Sunny niggas around me rolling up and smoking me up Because, because when voice pass Everybody dies in love Everybody dies in And I just wanna dance to love just wanna dance tonight if you think you love me, then bury me when the sun up. Faded with the homie, he pearling another blunt up. Talking to Muhammad like niggas don't really trust us. Dying on stolen land for a dollar like that ain't fucked up, it's fuck they money. I'ma say it every song. Into the revolution coming all the feds start running. Fuck a goodwill hunting. This is brand new murder. Revolutionary suicide. The clothes occurred and you ain't seen death. I can hear the blood on the moon. These niggas put a flag upon it. All they do is consume. Only animal to ravage everything in its path. They turned the a natural resource into a a bundle of cash made the world anti-black then divided the class now the rich niggas is rich niggas with showbread really bitch niggas with big figures some coke heads. these bitches is coke heads, man uh, fuck yeah. a billionaire how you yeah. get close to love how you eliminate all your sadness when you open it up how you make excuses for billionaires you broke on the blood sunny niggas around me rolling up and smoking me up because because we're in voice guys everybody dies, love. Everybody dies love. and i just want to dance to it just
3: to that was uh, No Name with her new song, Rainforest.
6: Solidarity Breakfast, your Saturday morning serving of union and working news. Current events, opinion and talkback every Saturday, 7.30 till 9am here on 3CR 8.55 on your AM dial There's kind of
8: a lot of a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function if we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very very sort of different forms and very you know important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture
2: Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. The time is 7.25am. Um, so last week, Priya from Thursday Breakfast caught up with Noura Mansour, a Palestinian educator, political anal- analyst, community organiser, and campaign from Acre. Um Noura discussed uh, the Israeli apartheid and genocidal violence against Palestinians, um, Palestinian anti-colonial resistance, and solidarity with Palestine. Please take a listen.
12: Supporter. I'm speaking with Nora Mansour, a Palestinian educator, political analyst, community organizer, and campaigner from ACA about Israeli apartheid and genocidal violence against Palestinians, as well as Palestinian resistance and anti-colonial struggle, and the movement for solidarity with Palestine. So, Nora, thank you so much for joining me.
5: Uh, thanks for
12: having me, Priya. No worries. So um, I guess we'll just jump straight into it. I know this is really heavy. It's a really difficult time. And there have been strikes on suburbs and refugee camps in Gaza, Israeli Defense Force attacks on Palestinians, as well as, um, and I think this has been less emphasized, vigilante violence and property destruction by Israeli settlers, uh, which combined have now tragically taken over 230 Palestinian lives. And um, I was wondering if we could start by discussing uh, Israel's choice to to target specific sites. So for example, uh media uh, buildings clinics public infrastructure roads to hospitals there was a bookshop and publishing house and even the desecration of a cemetery so obviously this is uh, attacking civilians but also attacking some key sites
5: as well yeah that's that's a great um um way or point to start with i think um because so basically what 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 is happening and what has been happening for the last 73 years is that israel does not only target the land it targets the Palestinian society as a whole so it targets the Palestinian people and it is a war against the Palestinian indigenous population in Palestine at its core um, and this we you know this can be uh, seen um, and as, as it's been evident uh, throughout Israeli practices and policies but most recently as we can see that it's targeting civilian population um in Gaza and that is something also that is not new. We can see uh, from statistics from two thousand and fourteen as well that you know eighty percent, according to united Nations, eighty percent of of the victims um, you know in two thousand and fourteen were actually civilians and vast majority of children as well. So at its core, Israel targets civilian population. It targets civilian infrastructure. And specifically when we're talking about a context where you have two uh, two million people living uh, under uh siege for so long, it's really hard to make that distinction. There's almost no distinction, Um you know, uh, and we can argue that no place is safe in Gaza, not even the civilian infrastructure, right? So as you mentioned, um bookstores book have been uh, targeted, uh, office buildings, including journalists like Al Jazeera, uh, houses, obviously, cemeteries. And in 2014, we've also seen hospitals being targeted. Um, uh, mosques, um, and you know, as we've seen now, also United Nations schools. So now they're threatening to attack United Nations schools. And, and basically, yeah. So as I said to begin with, Israel's war at its core is a war against civilian, you know, stateless population in Palestine.
12: Yeah. It seems to very much be, um, you know, this wholesale targeting of the, the Palestinian population, it's hitting these cultural sites as well as sites of education, sites of medical care. Um, but in response to that, obviously, Palestinian people have been resisting. They've been resisting for decades. And there was a historic all-Palestine strike on May 18th. So could you speak to the significance of that strike and, and what happened?
5: Sure. So the strike, um, the Tuesday strike, the 18th of May, uh, was initiated basically by grassroots organizations and across the historical Palestine. So that is 1948, West Bank and, and you know Gaza for as much as possible uh, territories. And um, so mainly the goal of this strike, uh, we can probably talk about three main points. Uh, and the first one is to unite the Palestinian people under one common strategy in fighting and resisting Israeli apartheid uh policies and practices that are uh, obviously have been um, very aggressive towards Palestinians for almost over a, a century if you know were uh, to go back to the root cause of the violence that is in Palestine which is the Zionist movement um so that is the first goal which is to unite all Palestinians under one strategy so the second goal is to demonstrate that Palestinians even though um they are at disadvantage when it comes to the power um power asymmetry and power imbalance, because obviously this is um, an interaction or um, uh, uh, warfare between state versus non-state actors, stateless people. Um, Even though we are the stateless, uh, the weak, quote-unquote, part, but we do have significant impact and we can actually affect and change the rules of the game. Uh, And that is uh, one way to do it is through the strike. Uh, the third and obviously the clear objective of the strike was to try and put pressure on the Israeli economy, so that it affects all the other. It's like an all-encompassing um, strategy to affect other sectors, so that in a way to alleviate pressure from Gaza or to you know share, share the burden, uh, if you wish. So that that's it in a nutshell.
12: Yeah, and I mean it's been amazing seeing those pictures come out of Palestine. Um, seeing, you know, everybody on the streets and the amount of um, mobilization, um, but also sites of joy, music, dancing, you know, people um, really getting together and holding each other during this time. And there's also been um, an uptick as well, as we've seen in public solidarity and the tide maybe starting to turn a little on the narrative bore, um with this sort of importance of People starting to recognize a framing of apartheid, which was mentioned in the Human Rights Watch report in April, but also um, some discussion um, being lifted up about this being an anti-colonial struggle. Um, so, yeah, could could you speak to, to some of the change in discourse? You know, acknowledging that there is still a lot of um, uh, sway held by uh, the Israeli state over public discourse.
5: Sure. So, I think the reason why this is really important is. The fact that the current framing leaves out a big, uh, um, like a big proportion of what is happening or what has been happening. So factually, it's basically incorrect. Um, It doesn't it doesn't provide um, um, the the bigger picture for people to think uh, as in, you know, to have uh, the proper understanding of what is going on there. And that is why you you still have people today who are confused and people say, oh, but it's very complicated. Isn't it complicated? I'm like, not if you look um, at it from the right lens and the right framework. Right. If we were to go back once again to the root cause, it is by the end of the day, it is a settler colonial project. Right. It's a Zionist settler colonial project. And it's a, um, um, a war against indigenous population in Palestine. Um, so I think, yes, the tide is shifting. And, and that is something that, you know, many Palestine organization, advocacy organizations and Palestinians and individuals uh, have been working really hard to get to that point. Um, we are still facing challenges and limitations, and there's still some caveats when it comes to mainstream media. But that has been also uh, balanced with uh, social media um, to a certain extent, because even social media has been censoring Palestinian content. So that is, again, um, uh, as we can see, this is a, a struggle that we're facing on man, money money front. But um, it's really hard at this point, you know, when people have free access to information, to keep information from people. Uh, people, can, people can watch and see what's happening nowadays. It's not, it's not like it's, uh, we're still, you know, when things were happening in 1948. So people have access to information and they can make their own conclusions.
12: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it has been a bit frustrating seeing um, greater amplification of what's happening after the Al Jazeera and Associated Press offices were hit, um, rather than looking at it before when it was just hitting Palestinian civilians. But at the same time, that has also, um, you know, allowed some amplification as well. Um, but then at the same time, you see um, the state literally posting through this on social media, like you see uh, Twitter, um, the the state, the IDF accounts yeah. that are that are posting through this, which is quite extraordinary. Um, but I also wanted to turn to um, the the importance of Jewish Palestinian solidarity. And that is not to say that there aren't Palestinians who are themselves Jewish, um, but there is a letter, for example, circulating at the moment uh, within so-called Australia where um Jewish people who are standing in, in solidarity with Palestine are signing on. And uh, I wanted to talk to the importance of sort of debunking uh, this false equivalence between uh, anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism and also unwanted instances of anti-Semitic actions that are claiming to be pro-Palestinian.
5: Yes, no, this is this is a very important point uh, for me personally as a Palestinian who grew up in Palestine, uh, but also um, I think for the wider community as well. Um, so, look, the way that Israel is structured uh, and the Zionist movement is built is that it wants people to think that being Jewish means being Zionist. Right. So it wants to conflate these two identities and create a false sense of um, uh, that they're inseparable. Yeah. Uh, however, if we were to look, you know, <laughs> once again, at fact, we would see that historically the Jewish um, Judaism is, you know, thousands years old. Uh, culture and um of course it has a historical links to palestine um and uh by itself is not necessarily tied to a geographical location in the sense that you can be jewish anywhere in the world and you can still practice judaism because it's a spiritual um identity as a religion whereas zionism on the other hand it is a political movement right and it's only a 100 plus years old so we don't want to be reducing when we're talking, like the conflation basically reduces the Jew, 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 Jewish or um, Jewish culture from this ancient culture to this, you know, small and limited political movement that is mainly a settler colonial movement, right? That, again, um, uh, sought to establish a homeland for people based on lies, because the Zionist uh, myth was that uh, Palestine is an empty land. For people with you know with no land or something like this so um, and this is this is again it's very um, settler colonial textbook argument that that is also was also made here in Australia with the terra nullius um, so I think it's important not to conflate these two um, it's also um, the other reason why we should not be conflating because many Jewish people uh, are not Zionists, but also many Zionists are not Jewish so you can be a Zionist and not be a Jewish person, for instance, like the Evangelicals uh, Christians, or you know some of the, the Arab and Muslim leaders who are um, normalizing relations with Israel. So they endorse Zionism in this case. Um, but th- uh, the other important point that I want to make is that anti-Semitism is real, and it exists. Um, however, it does not exist in the framework that Zionism wants you to think. It exists in a framework where it is linked to Islamophobia, anti-immigrant, and it's a fight, again, um, um, against um, um, right-wing, extreme right-wing movements. So it's important that, um, you know, as a Palestinian, when I'm fighting against racist and discriminatory systems, I'm also fighting um, um, against anti-Semitism. If I'm not doing that, then there's something wrong. Uh, with my uh, values,
12: obviously. Yeah, no, that is um, a really important topic to amplify because I think, you know, this sort of reductionist kind of language uh, really erases the importance of seeing these struggles as interconnected, as you
3: said. Um, so fine. Finally- we're just going to cut it there. Um, but that was a really great interview that was done on uh, Thursday breakfast last week With uh, Priya, who caught up with Nora Mansour, who is a Palestinian educator, political analyst, community organizer, and campaigner for from ACA. Nora uh, was discussing Israeli apartheid and genocidal violence against Palestinians, Palestinian anti-colonial resistance and solidarity with Palestine. If you wanted to listen to the full interview, you can go to the Thursday breakfast uh, website on three CR. It's podcasted um, up on there just for now, before we go to um, our next interview, um, just gonna play a quick track uh, this is um, a song that I discovered the other day um, by an all-time favorite she's a breakfast Nina Simone but um, off an album uh, where she's getting into a little bit more of funkier sound so please enjoy this one <laughs>
13: Story, clean up your rap. your story's getting dusty. Wash out your mouth, your lies are getting rusty. Can't believe nothing you say. Cause I'm around and I see what you do. You know you funky eyes and a mosquito sweeter. You got a mouth like a herd of old weavers. Same old game, same old thing. You something to tell you I got something to tell you baby Another brother You think you slick But you could stand A lot of grease In the things you do conversation but peace and love is a famous generation what's in your head is really started showing your conversation's getting kind of bold
3: Incredible Nina Simone with uh, her song Funkier Than a Mosquito. Sorry, I'm just playing it out of my minor technical issues. (laughs) Um, uh, A song um, called Funkier Than a Mosquito's Tweeter. Um, Now we're going to
2: um, uh, speak with uh, a couple of very special guests. So... um, Uh, Red Pocket Press uh, celebrates Queer Lunar New Year through zines, food and gatherings. They share stories of queer Asian histories, ancestry and family in the diaspora. We're joined today by Hung, the curator of Red Pocket Press, as well as Heel, one of the contributors of the Year of the Ox zine. This cycle zine showcases poetry, prose, visual art and photography and explores themes of anti-capitalism, connection with land, Lunar New Year ceremonies and the Queer Asian diaspora. Welcome to Three CR Tuesday Breakfast. Hung and Heal. Hi. Hey. <laughs> great um, to be
1: here.
2: <laughs> great to have you. Um, so, just to begin, uh, for our listeners who um, haven't heard of Red Pocket Press before, Hung, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about um, a bit a, yeah a bit about what it is. Yeah. So,
6: um, I started Red Pocket Press. Um, which is, I guess, a publishing and community project um, in the year of the Golden Pig, which is 2019. And um, prior to that, I'd made zines before, and I really loved the way that zines was a really DIY approach to like, building community and relationships and um, how accessible it was. So I guess that became the drive for creating Red Pocket Press And also wanting to kind of create a space that I wanted to see here in Nam.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I I feel like this year, especially um, the year of the Ox, um, we've really seen um, Red Pocket Press grow and beyond um, the zine, which which of course is, you know, um, what celebrated um, at the end of, of the um, week of festivities um, could you tell us a bit about the events that were put on this year because some of them were, were really amazing community events that brought a lot of people together
6: Yeah um, for sure and I definitely couldn't have done it without um, a team of people so um, I just want to give out a shout out to the Quillin New Organising Team, um, Jessie Tao and um, Ro, um, Yanni and Lucky, um, and Aki as well. So yeah, it was it was really um, a collaborative effort in that sense between Red Pocket Press and um, members of Anti Colonial Asian Alliance. And um, the events that we put on this year was our the annual Quillenir Party which was held at Loop Bar, um, which brought together the being contributors, as well as performers um, and food, of course. Um, and then we also had a workshop with Shot up who um, ran an intergenerational banquet of resistance um, cooking workshop, which was really amazing. And that was at Whole Foods out in Monash. Um, and then the other two were, uh, it was a queer relationship workshop um, run by one of our organisers, Aki and a friend of Auntie, um, and then we also had a paper making workshop, which I facilitated.
2: Yeah, and and it sounds like all of these events, you know, um, are really similar to what you were saying about uh, what drew you to zines, and that um, it's bringing together community, um, and it's uh, really accessible, and um, just sort of different activities and different um, practices that um, help explore and, and celebrate. Um, the queer asian diaspora here in in nam um, and, and so-called australia um Hill, you're one of the contributors to to this year's zine i just wanted to ask you um what could you tell us a bit more about the year of the ox and and what this um, particular year means to you um, as a person or as an artist
1: yeah um uh, so my zodiac sign is your tiger and <laughs> i think a lot of my really close friends Um, because I went to school year early from Year of the Ox. So I just feel like every time I think of Year of the Ox, I just think of all my really closest friends um, who are just kind of there to hold me and keep me grounded, (laughs) Um, whatever's happening in in my life. So, yeah, I feel like that's the kind of vibe I get (laughs) from Year of the Ox.
2: That's great. That's really sweet. Um, Could you tell tell us a bit about your uh, contribution to this year's zine?
1: Yeah, Um, so yeah, I saw Red Pocket Press uh, online in 2019 that I was overseas, so I couldn't um, sort of come to the events, and so I really wanted to contribute to this year's theme, and my contribution is called um, Touching the Earth, and Touching the Earth in sort of my spiritual tradition of Plum Village, which is a Vietnamese Buddhist tradition, is kind of about um, creating a practice around recognizing ancestral wisdom um, and sort of recognizing the difficult parts and the positive parts and kind of holding that and transforming that together with kind of community and country. Um, And I sort of wanted to... uh, I went on a trip with my mom to New York where we went to a um, really beautiful monastery in upstate New York and I kind of wanted to just it was such a really beautiful experience um, and I kind of wanted to sort of take some photos of my mom and write some poetry that reminded me of kind of um, the deep kind of wisdom and sort of it kind of practices around healing and finding resilience and resistance around me and sort of of moving beyond the kind of Western or like white gaze of what my family meant and what kind of like being Vietnamese meant and really sort of embracing that sort of kind of culture of healing that's sort of been in my history.
2: Yeah, I I really, um, that I, I find that what you just said about, um, breaking away from or, or, um. Unlearning, I guess um, you know uh, those images and and um, and prejudices and, and ideas that have been projected onto um, you and your family and your experience um, uh, from from white the white gaze and and um, uh, perhaps even the, the colonial gaze is, is really I find that really poignant and um, and very relatable. Um, and, and speaking of, I guess, connection to country and land, um, I think something that I find um, really important about Red Pocket Press and, and the events that are putting on, being um, put on through um, this publishing organisation is that you're always very aware of the fact that, um, you know, the queer Asian diaspora, you know, practices and celebrates um, and operates on stolen land um what does it mean for you to to um show solid- show solidarity um for first nations people um in this country and and incorporating that into your practice
1: yeah um,
2: so is this discretion
6: for hung oh i oh, mean we both can ask but yeah, yeah you can go first you
1: yeah oh cool um I I think I was really inspired by um, there was a section at the start of the My Anya like launch a few weeks ago which is like a a zine launch about like Vietnamese uh, art workers in the textile industry and it the the Acknowledgement to Country kind of talks about how um, the migrant dream is sort of built on settler exploitation and sort of like it sort of places us within kind of a racial hierarchy were sort of pitted against each other. So I feel like Mm. um, sort of recognising the fact that, like, colonisation and dominated culture is something that affects all marginalised groups sort of helps me to sort of, like, see the connection of our struggles um, and sort of leverage my own privilege um, as well as, I guess, kind of, like, decolonizing the sort of whiteness in myself as well mm-hmm. I feel like
2: there's a few layers yeah yeah and um, uh, I really like that you brought up um, the made now launch um, because I was also struck by their acknowledgement of country and and at the beginning of their book they they write about it really well um, and uh, of course we did um, uh, interview Emma and Kim from from Mania a few weeks ago. So, um, for listeners who want to revisit that interview, you can check that out on our website. Um, but Hung, how about how about you?
6: Yeah, I think for me, um, I guess being queer and Vietnamese like uh, there is already that intersection of I guess identities, um, but I say identities more in like a fluid kind of sense, and um, and I think that. Uh, definitely growing up here and um, being uh, be, having the, the chance to learn here on um, like Pula nation I've also lived in um, other places too um, It has like really shown me how like, how clear those intersections are and how um, you know we we live in quite an individualized, society and so I think already living on those margins um it makes me want to keep learning um Mm. and understanding more of like yeah what is my responsibility and I think like as yeah as a queer Asian settler here um I have a huge responsibility to to listen and to act as well um and and a lot of the work that I guess the storytelling that we do through the zine, like, um, I try to, like, acknowledge that there was already, like, queer histories and queer Aboriginal stories being told here way before I was here and way before Mm. my parents were here. And, um, yeah, and, yeah, way before, like, settlers even came on this land. So it's also acknowledging that history, too, of, like, sister girls and brother boys. And, Mm. like... and. Yeah, and learning more about, about that history where possible. Um, yeah, and I think that actually um, Assassinations writer Laniuk just posted a really great poem on social media in response to Midsummer, hmm.
10: um,
6: And I highly recommend people to watch it because um, they talk about um, erasure um, of, um, yeah, being Assassinations and also being, yeah, and... People of color as well through Midsummer and how um, Midsummer has wanted to kind of um, quote unquote tone down um, mm. their poem. So highly recommend that you watch the poem.
2: Yeah, and, and we can definitely um, include the link in our show notes um, for oh today. My. And I think what you were just saying um, there hung with experience of queerness and and um, and how that. Uh, relates to you know our um, our being here on 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 stolen land um, and how that's very uh, closely tied with um, capitalism as well you know yep. you're talking about um, I guess uh, wanting to, you know, this poet being told to tone down their poem, and we see brands and big corporations co-opting um, language and experiences of of marginalized peoples. Um, yeah, I uh, I read on your site that you know this uh, this the zine also um, explores themes of anti-capitalism. Uh, um, uh, are there any particular stories um, or pieces of art that um, that uh, speak directly to that?
6: Yeah, uh, there's, there's um, a, a poem um, called Year of the Fire Ox, and it's by one of our being contributors, Blue, um, formerly known as Jude Wing, um, and yeah they talk in their poem, they talk a lot about um mutual aid and love and friendship, mm. and um that being a mode of like working against capitalism um which yeah, I find really like strong and powerful um and then we also have other other contributors as well and I feel like even heal's piece like um you know being able to talk about healing and um and building relationships with, like, um, like our ancestral wisdom and then also um, family members. Like, I think that can be quite radical as well and, and to Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think um, – and what you were saying just now with mutual aid, we've definitely seen – um, you know, in the COVID era, a rise of mutual mm-hmm. aid programs and um, initiatives that have come from at a grassroots level within the queer community, yep. within, um, uh, you know, First Nations and and other um, uh, other communities um, uh, here in, in Naaman and in this country. And while, you know, we still have to hold our government to account and, and make sure that um, they're they're also taking responsibility, um, yeah. I think it is quite beautiful to, to also have those um, initiatives happening at a, at a community level to um, establish links and connections with other people, not only within our um, our family, chosen family, but also across um, different communities as well. Um, I just have one more question for, for both of you. Um and, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, um, to um, give us, you know, your, your last impressions um, on, on what this uh, project has, has meant for you um, personally in, in connecting um, with either yourself or, or with others. Hill, I know you talked a bit about this earlier in the interview, but um, any sort of final thoughts for us this morning? Um, yeah. Uh, Hill, yeah, I'll start with you
1: yeah um i i think like yeah like being part of this project has yeah been such an incredible experience i think like the intersection of being in a community that acknowledges kind of my um, asian and queer identity um sort of has kind of allowed me to be seen and witnessed and sort of been able to express myself in a way that um i previously haven't found the place to sort of do that, mm. um and I feel like mm. what really sums that up is that um I feel like yeah, I was able to embrace kind of my Vietnamese name, <laughs> yeah, mm. like in like red pocket press events and also like uh mm. being like submitting through the name heel as well mm. and it's mm. it actually is like has such a incredible like meaning, um my mum named me. Um, heel, when she was growing up and facing a lot of sort of like uh, domestic sort of abuse and having a difficult time in Australia um, and heal sort of means kind of a love and appreciation for your parents, your ancestors and kind of like everything that comes before you um, and really having a deep respect and understanding of those traditions and those the community around you and I, I feel like yeah, that kind of just summarizes my experience of sort of coming to be in sort of togetherness.
2: Um, yeah.
1: with everyone. Yeah.
2: Thank you, Hill. And um Hung, how about you? Um, I think I'm just so
6: I mean, hearing you say this, I I'm like I'm just so happy that um Red Pocket Press could be some sort of connective tissue um, mm-hmm. for our being contributors, but also beyond that, people who've attended our events. Um, people both here in Nam and um, across so called Australia and then also internationally as well. So um, I, yeah, I love that Red Pocket Press can be a connector for people to make friendships, um, yeah, to build relationships. And I think, I really think that, that what is what is. Going to make us stronger for when mm. um, when our community needs us, and when our like our extended community needs us as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's I, I definitely, and I think you know, especially in this um, day and age where there's there's so much rocking us as a community um it is it is really important to to hold on to our connections um with with others um so thank you so much hung and heal for for joining us on 3cr tuesday breakfast this morning i am going to put the link um to red pocket press um both the website and instagram um, and i highly encourage our listeners to to check out um uh uh, the the photos um, from the zine and also from the events uh, from this year because it is really beautiful. Um, uh, even if you aren't, you know, part of the queer Asian diaspora, I think it's really important mm. um, for you to, um, yeah, uh, experience that as well. But thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, thank so, you much. so much, for cool. Thank you. All right, talk Bye. soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> uh, so um, that was an interview uh, with. Hung, the curator of Red Pocket Press, and Hill, one of the contributors of the Year of the Ox theme. Um, again, if you'd like to check out their work, um, I'll pop the links to the Instagram and the website in the show notes for today.
14: Tuesday Breakfast
8: would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically source cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram.
15: We've been striking on and off since the 1st of November. We're here with a lot of other kids from
4: Castlemaine.
0: From the school strike for climate and trade union rallies to Invasion Day protests and public housing vigils, 3CR's outside broadcasts bring the voices of dissent from the streets onto Melbourne radio. Currently, this can involve crouching on the ground at a rally with a laptop and a mic trying to capture people's voices for broadcast. Your donation will enable us to purchase much needed equipment to avoid dropouts and delays and provide training for our outside broadcast volunteers. Help get us off the ground so we can get the word out to you. And for one week only, ethicaljobs.com.au will double every donation up to the value of $5,000. Just go to 3cr.org.au before May 27th and click the donate button to help get us off the ground.
4: If you've just joined us, we're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, and we're about to speak with Texter Queen, uh, who is um, known for using the fiber tip marker, aka Texter, to draw out complex politics of gender, race, sexuality, and identity in vividly detailed works on paper. Um, And Texter Queen is currently working on an artist residency for diverse and dispersed artists in their Collingwood shopfront studio called They Swarm. Welcome to the show, Texter. How are you?
16: hi um I'm okay, thank you for having me of course
4: um so you are just currently working on an amazing artist residency. um can you tell us how that came about? um
16: yeah I've been uh, dreaming it up for a couple of years and it's really inspired by all my experience just twenty years i guess of um working in uh as an artist in commercial and institutional spaces um, and independent ones, but really kind of prompted by, um, yeah, my experiences of tokenism and, yeah, just going to a lot of residencies and being the only um, queer or disabled or person of colour or, yeah, um, at them and just, uh, yeah, just being really motivated by... How much energy that I would often take in those in those spaces um because of that because of being the only, and that uh yeah it was kind of like affected what I created and my energy and creativity, so I really wanted to um create a space that uh there was more chance for connection rather than that friction
4: yeah and I think you know that's a um pretty common experience for queer um p o c um especially if you have a disability. you know navigating a workplace is generally quite difficult. you're often the only person there um it's often really white and informed by kind of colonial capitalist structures um and the art world is of course no no exception um can you tell us a bit more about your experience? In this space, because art particularly has a kind of elitist white background more so than lots of other spaces?
16: Um, yeah, and I mean, I've shown in a lot of spaces that probably consider themselves progressive and show, you know, a lot of. And it, it, but still based in this whole uh, colonial, but you know, built on genocide. <laughs> and. Um, And individuals working within them consider themselves progressive. Yet, like, you know, I've, I had, like, what really started the ball rolling on this was having an institutional show a few years ago. And um, that was a survey show of, like, 20 years of work and being there and being like, wow, like, here I am, like, quite close to a huge, South Asian community in this institution institution, yet there hasn't been any outreach work to that community and here I am at the opening like one of three um, people I can recognise as
4: um, Mm.
16: BIPOC people and I I brought one of them, you know what I mean? (laughs) And and just being at the opening and being petted and stroked and um, by women um, you know, close to my own age and just being called a clever girl and just really spinning out, being like, how are you treating me like this when all that I'm about is on the walls and and it doesn't feel right that there is um, dozens more brown bodies on the walls than there is in this space. And, um, yeah, so I was, I really wanted to... Yeah, it just really motivated me to be like, why am I making art? Who am I making art for? And what do I enjoy about being an artist? And what can I share about?
4: Yeah, um, and I that's a yeah. you know that's a very patronizing sort of reductive way to be treating an artist. As you say, your work is on the wall. You know, everything that you want to say is up there on the wall, and that's yeah. So of course, it's really important. Um, to have a safe space for queer and trans, black, indigenous, people of colour and disabled artists. Um, Is that what their swarm sort of is meant to be?
16: Yeah. And, you know, the other motivation too was, like, coming up as an emerging artist and not having um, mentors or even, like, peers who shared shared those experiences and really wanting um, to like you know a lot of my work has been collaborative with people with tangent experiences and just like that's where i find the joy in creating and just wanting you know the the idea of the residency is that i will peer mentor like uh, and and host and host it so that the um resident artists and i will work in the same place and let collaboration happen if we if they desire and um yeah to just Focus on on that connection and intimacy um, rather than. Uh, I just feel like often when commissioned for institutions and stuff, the emphasis is on spectacles, and and there isn't the consideration of the artist's experience or even um, the intimacy of the artist's work mm. isn't isn't a priority, and I just really want to. Pro- like especially as disabled artists uh, especially as a disabled artist and wanting to offer a space for disabled artists that really like um gentleness in the process and um yeah just even focusing on the process rather than production is just a way to really like come back to what it is to create
4: yeah and i think that's a really important point that you just brought up is that there will be shared lived experiences in that space, um, which is often lacking. And so I feel like that will make a really big difference in the support and in the in the safety of that space as well.
16: Yes. And the idea is like, I'm still, um, reforming the board and stuff, but to just have a, a very diverse board, board of, um, they base they on board to um yeah just like be able to um cater to each individual artist like um cultural and access needs um yeah and it that it really can be like tailored to whatever the whatever the artist needs. and i, I only want to run um um the residencies quarterly. Um, so to really be able to, um, you know, the, the one of the one of the one of the, the best residencies I've been in um, has been where the residency program has been in touch before, and this is very rare, and been like, what what do you want to do, and how can we help you do that? And you know, I really want to use that model to just be like, oh, you want this kind of mentor? Let's have that person come in for you. Yeah. And, oh, you, you don't want to do any public programs but you want to launch a... You, you want to um, have a private um, intimate function for, like, people for people that you connect with around your identity, you know? So, yeah, yeah and just really um, it be based on
4: communication. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you're currently raising... Um, money for renovations to the space which um, so that you can include wheelchair access to the studio and the bathroom. Um, where can people yeah. go if they want to help out with that?
16: Uh, yes, the actual campaign link is very long with lots of numbers in it. It's via <laughs> the Australian Cultural Fund, but if, um, you can find the link via my website at com. Backslash Projects, backslash Baseform, and the link is within, is on that page. Um, yeah, and you can read a little bit more about Baseform on my website or on the camp. On the
4: amazing. Well. And yeah. I think people can also buy your amazing colouring book called Learn Your ACABs to help oh, fund, yes.
16: yeah? Yes. My, um, Learn Your ACABs is also on my website, and the money from that goes to, towards um, the admin to setting up Baseform they form and a dollar from every book um goes to Wern of Canuck Landback mm-hmm. Initiative as well
4: incredible so, um yeah I would definitely recommend the coloring book I've bought a few and they're great oh um, great
16: thank you thank
4: you no, I right.
16: accidentally posted off my my copy that I was coloring in to somebody <laughs> if out there happened to get that let me know <laughs> it's like a
4: um it's like a signed copy almost
16: yes <laughs> yeah.
4: um Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Texta Queen. Um, if anyone wants to follow Texta Queen on Instagram, the handle is uh, text- at Queen, and the website is Yeah. Thank you for having me.
6: Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and be part of community-powered radio. 3CR Radiothon
3: fundraiser, June 2021.
7: To donate, call 3 9419 or donate online at
9: 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. Oh.
4: Next up, we're just going to have a track by Bodura and it's called Missing You.
14: With you and alone up in my mind. Why does the evening sun have to leave me for so long? When I better can sleep, cause I'm wishing to be with everyone. I've been missing you, near me, I've been missing you clearly. Are we strong enough? or we live long enough to die freely, but we are turning us not you come see.
4: was missing you by budgera next up we have
0: some audio from earlier in the week um sion crawford who is the ceo of harm reduction victoria uh, she joined thursday breakfast to speak about the importance of supervised and safe injecting facilities in melbourne and countering conservative pushback against those sites uh where there is a um a injecting room that's um, projected to um, be opened in Melbourne eventually, Um, and so we're going to hear her talking about the need for that.
15: Yeah, very excited to chat to you today. Um, I guess as a bit of a start-off, could you tell us a bit more about yourself and about Harm Reduction Victoria?
9: Yeah, sure. So Harm Reduction Victoria is uh, what we call a a peer-based organisation, and in the peer, peer group that we work with and that we are from are, are people with a history of uh, illicit drug use. And um, in particular, um, you know, we, we we work with people who use all, all kinds of illicit drugs, um, but injecting drug use is a key part of uh, the work that we do. So we actually draw our um, workforce from... From that, from that community, from the community of people
15: uh, who inject drugs. So I have lived experience of, mm-hmm. of that and a lot of the issues that affect people uh, who inject as well. Mm-hmm. So it really sounds like the organisation is about ensuring that the people that support people have a lived experience and kind of bring that understanding into the space. Um,
9: yeah, absolutely, and, and to advocate... For our community as well as provide services.
15: Yeah. Yeah, incredible. And for um, listeners that might not know about it, could you give us a brief um, introduction on the safe and supervised um, injecting facility in Melbourne, the North Richmond Community Health run one?
9: Yeah, sure. So um, I think it's called well, it's called the medically supervised injecting room, and I think um, people use the acronym M there a lot, so I might slip into using that.
13: Yeah. Um,
9: but it. Uh, obviously started a few years ago in North Richmond. And I think it's important to know and understand that, uh, first of all, that injecting safe safe injecting facilities or drug consumption rooms are actually pretty common around the world Mm. or relatively common anyway. Um, They've been in place for quite some time, particularly in Europe, of course, um, and in Canada as well. And um, the Melbourne one actually... um, I think, was the second attempt in, in Melbourne yeah. to have injecting rooms. We we tried it a little bit earlier uh, in the century. And um, I think it's also important to know that injecting rooms are usually put in places where there is already a high level of injecting drug use, particularly public injecting. And mm. usually, like the North Richmond one, they're in response to an overdose epidemic.
10: Yeah.
9: Uh, people really, um, you know don't like seeing, frankly, overdoses on their street and, and us as the community don't like experiencing them and having our, our friends die. I've personally had mm. it. Uh, a number of pe- people that I know <coughs> die from overdose. It's mm. unfortunately really common and I think it's important to know that the injecting room is set up specifically to stop uh, overdose and it's done yeah. that uh, really, really well in North Richmond but it also links people into um, to, to services as well.
15: Mm. It- it really sounds like the priority is protecting and supporting community in the Richmond area. And since the introduction of this facility, have there been any changes to overdose patterns or management um, in the area?
9: <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, so both anecdotally uh, for, from the community and from, um, when I say the community, I'm I'm, I'm Speaking then pretty broadly, mm-hmm. uh, I know there are a number of community members who are opposed to the room, and mm-hmm. um, that's their their right. But from our perspective, from our community, we certainly see that um, overdoses have uh, public overdoses have decreased, and um, there is uh, the the room is also very proud of the number of people that. It's, um, Brought into drug treatment as well. Mm. Uh, I believe there'd be no overdoses on site. Wow. That's for sure. Uh, no, sorry, no fatal overdoses on site, um, and uh, the, the fatal overdoses in the area have been measurably decreased as well. Mm-hmm. It's a room. No service is going to completely eliminate any of the issues that it's put in place
10: to yeah.
9: um, to, to help deal with. So you know there are a number of restrictions on people who can and can't enter the service, for instance. Mm. Uh, those people are not going to magically stop injecting drugs in the area but just because they're not allowed to use the injecting room, for instance. Yeah. Um, and there are uh, there are numerous reasons why people might end up injecting in public still. So, of course, that's still going to happen and there's still going to be overdoses in public. But the, uh, the review panel who reviewed the uh, injecting room and handed down their report last year.
10: Yeah.
9: You know, it's undeniably that there's a, 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 a lessening trend line of overdoses in the area, and that's ultimately what it was set up to, to do. It wasn't mm. really set up to manage the amenity of the
15: area. No, for sure, for sure. Yeah. <coughs> and also, just kind of leading <clears throat> on from that, could you also tell us a bit more about the role of peer support in relation to encouraging safer injecting practices and the use of supervised injecting facilities?
9: Yeah, sure. So, peer education and peer support. I mean, our organisation, Harm Reduction Victoria, for instance, was actually funded back in nineteen eighty-seven, mm. and uh, that was in response to the HIV epidemic. Yeah. And it was it was because our community, or at, at that time in particular, um, it was uh, the community was very hidden, and uh, peer education was brought in because uh, basically that's how people who engage in illicit activities tend to learn is actually from there, from other people. You know, mm-hmm. anyone who takes any kind of drug generally will ask the person that they're using it with or the person they're buying it from or getting mm-hmm. it with, you know, do you know about this, do you know about this, do you know how strong it is, all that sort of stuff. I think a lot of people who have experience with all sorts of drugs um, understand that and injecting drug users are no different. And so peer education really is just built to leverage that, mm-hmm. but as it's as peer support and peer education has um, uh, developed over time, um, it's also utilised more and more by services. And so um, certainly in uh, North Richmond, the uh, peer workers that have been involved um, in, in the injecting, their main role was, I believe outreach in particular and engaging people into using the service. So mm. to do the very things we were talking about before, yeah. let people know that the injecting room exists and that um, you know that ideally uh, they won't get arrested um, for yeah. being in there and that um, and, and that the staff there have got their best interests at heart.
10: Oh, sure. And
9: yeah. So peer is really about well, there's a lot it does a lot of things but one of the things it can do is engage people and uh, let them sh- share your own ex- – sh- really break down barriers by um, briefly sharing your own experience yeah. and showing people that you understand where they are. Where they are. That
3: was an interview um, that was done on Thursday breakfast last week uh, with Sion Crawford, the CEO of Harm Reduction Victoria. We've come to the end of our show today. Um, just to go over what um, – we uh, talked about um, uh, Fong had the pleasure of talking to Red Pocket Press, uh, which is celebrating the queer Lunar New Year. We also um, got to speak to Texter Queen, um, who is an artist doing an artist of residency um, at uh, the Swarm. It's called Day Swarm. Day Swarm. In Sorry. <laughs> um, please stay tuned up next because we've got Accent of Women. Um, also keep it locked to 3CR and listen to the other breakfast shows. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. While you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.